What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? Happy Monday, and I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, for another episode of Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments. Episode 71 is here and ready to go. About Ping Pong Payments, we provide marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds. An account with us enables companies to significantly reduce or uh, help their costs when receiving or making international payments all in one platform uh, that helps increase operational efficiencies, saves time, and allows sellers to manage their business profits from one single source. For more information, go ahead and check out that link below where it says, it says save 25% at least on your international FX fees. Go ahead and sign up for a free account with Ping Pong today. But about our show today, thank you again for everyone who is joining Crossover Commerce Episode 71 live on Amazon, or excuse me, on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, or Twitter, or if you're catching this at a later time throughout the day, we know you're busy. So if you catch this later tonight, um, either downloading this on Amazon Music, uh, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, anywhere where you can download a podcast, we will be. Um, But if you want to watch this again, you can go always and check this link out on YouTube for a replay later on. But go ahead and do me a favor, go ahead and share, like, and um, comment your thoughts about this episode today with your social media following. We see all the comments real time. So we want to make sure we engage with our audience with any specific questions we have about our guests or a topic that we're discussing today. And also if you're here, uh, if you listen to this or watch this later on, go ahead and tag us in that post as well. And we'll make sure that you get your answers or your questions answered, I should say. Also, Crossover Commerce goes live about four to five times per week. So I'm always looking for guests to bring on the best and tell everyone about the best uh, tips and tricks in the Amazon and e-commerce space. So my goal is to bring you as much content as I humanly possibly can. So go ahead and subscribe to our social media channels or go ahead and follow our Facebook group. Just search Crossover Commerce with Ryan Kramer and subscribe to that and you'll be notified of the week's worth of people. We have, again, four episodes this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. So go ahead and subscribe to those channels today. But about our guest today on episode 71 of this show, again, uh, he is the co-founder, he is the founder and COO of Gimbo, where he has helped e-commerce brands and Amazon sellers and promotional products companies create new products that have sold for seven figures in revenue. His company, Gimba, is the world's first product innovation platform, connecting businesses and entrepreneurs to product development and manufacturing experts to guide them through the product development process. He has been on the ground of the unicorn company, Instacart, you know, a little bit of a, a, a tiny company, maybe you've heard of them, helping them uh, build out the Texas markets from $0 to seven figures in weekly GMV and building a national supply forecast system and fostering partnerships with Whole Foods, Costco, and HEB. Big time companies, so definitely tune in and take notes today. Welcome to our show, Zach Leonard of Gimba. Zach, welcome to Crossover Commerce. Thanks, Ryan. Great to be here. Excited to uh, to talk shop about product development. Yeah, those are big time companies that you worked with, man. Like uh, Unicorn <laughs> Company that you just want. I, I'm kind of curious about that. Tell me, walk me through that background of working with Instacart and then kind of building out Gimba. Sure. Um, so started my career in consulting and then moved into the startup space and I lucked out. And the first one I went to was Instacart. Uh, wow. Yeah. You said lucked uh, out. Hey, you know what they were going to do. Let's yeah. Go. Yeah. I, I, I believed in it and I thought it was an awesome, awesome experience that, you know, they built. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I came there as employee like number 30. So pretty early on, they only had a few markets up and running when I was there and I was tasked with starting and, and scaling the, the Texas market. So Austin was the first place and then moving into Houston, Dallas, San Antonio after that. And, you know, working with Whole Foods to set up their partnership. And ultimately that got bought out by Amazon and they, you know, now they're competitors and, and yeah, working with HEB and Costco and, um, helping create the, the model for forecasting supply and demand across all these different cities that they operated in. So really, really fun time, really exciting, explosive growth that I was able to see, um, focusing on, 
you know, grocery delivery and, and ultimately, awesome. yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, from there, um, I went to another delivery company, ran strategy for a company in, in Austin called drop off. And, you know, they're focused on all, you know, same day delivery, some more courier based services. And, you know, I think that's like where I, where I started to get interested into the you know product development and, and manufacturing space is seeing, you know, the last mile of the equation, which is the delivery, you know, it's a very crowded space. Um, but the problems, you know, that, that delivery solve weren't that interesting to me. It was more about how do, how do, how does the whole thing work before that? How do you get products out in the market and how do you, um, empower, you know, people to create the, the world's greatest new products. And so that's really what you know led me to start this company is noticing that there was a true, um, a true gap in the market for, for SMBs, um, particularly those who are just starting out or who have, you know, maybe a, a, a couple of hero products that they want to continue to grow and, you know, seeing that, you know, time and resource constraints are a real deal for SMBs as, you know, as an entrepreneur myself and understanding that, you know, hands-on and, and, and seeing, you know, where you need to devote your time and where you should start, you know, hiring people who are experts. And so, you know, we've created this platform that solves that gap that, you know, if you're, if you're good at marketing, you're good at selling the product, uh, but you may not have the expertise to develop the product or manufacture the product. It's something you should probably think about either, you know, outsourcing or, or, or hiring someone who is an expert internally, and that can be expensive and, and, and time consuming. And so what we do at Gemba is created the platform to, to bridge that gap and give, you know, people who do not have that expertise access to those people who do have the expertise at the, at, you know, at the click of a button. That's awesome. So obviously 2020 was a big year for like grocery and your background comes in that in terms of that model, Gimba has been around for how many years? What? Three, four, three, two? three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, three so, years. so what specifically are you working on? Are you working on more that, that market that you were actually experts in like obviously not the grocery, but obviously just the supply chain fulfillment, more, more like product conception to get yeah. it to, you know, fulfill or to fulfillment centers. So what was that kind of like switch over from one pretty specific area to more of a, I would say wider base, if you will. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, from our perspective, well, you know, why we started and continue to do what we do is because again, it's, it's, it's such, it is such a wide market. Um, you know, there's trillions of dollars in imports and exports every year. And, you know, if you get a percentage of that, that's a, that's a huge potential, you know, business that you can, you can yeah, we're talking with the T not a B we're yeah. talking with trillion, like with the T. Right. Right. And so that's kind of the macro factors. And then, you know, if you go into, um, you know, the small, small, mid-sized business segment of that, it's still in the hundreds of billions of dollars on a, on a, regular basis. Um, and again, those companies are the ones that are, are the ones that don't have it all figured out necessarily and don't have the, the, the expertise or don't have the resources to do what we do. Um, and so I think we're, we're trying to help as many, you know, businesses as we can get products out in the market that, that actually sell. And there's a, you know, there's a real process that, and, and, and kind of fulfillment that we, that we do to help guide our customers on that journey of, you know, what does it take from, you know, I have an idea in my head to getting it down on paper to, you know, developing it for real with, you know, engineers and designers, then going into talking to manufacturers and, and finally getting it to your warehouse. And so that's really, that's really what we do. So the, all this seems like a very time, very, very time sucking kind of entity, like, right? Like ideas can take forever. They can take a few days, it could take weeks, years, even to come up with a concept or idea for where you wanted to go to market, then mm -hmm. finding a great manufacturer or distributor. No one really knows like, oh yeah, just walk down the street and find a, a, a good, you know, supplier or manufacturer. Yeah. How did you guys build out a system that, that kind of like condenses it all from like multiple weeks or years, even months of years to like something that's very much time yeah. saving is what you guys do. Yeah, I think the first is the process developing that, um, and I'm happy to walk through you know more in detail on yeah. on that from a from a how that works perspective. Um, so that's kind of the first step is building out the actual process, and then the second step was you know building out the network of experts and manufacturers, and I think we've been doing those in tandem. So now where we have, you know, over 1,500 factories in eight or nine different countries that we have personally vetted. Um, 
And then the philosophy for us has always been that you need to, like, when you go into the manufacturing side, you need to have someone who's physically there on the ground that can go to your factory at any given point in time to check in and make sure that everything is going smoothly and your production is, is moving along towards both the spec and the time schedule that you've agreed to with the factory. So that's really, you know, how we've developed it. Um, and then really it's about, and then in the, you know, product development side of it, again, hiring and, and working with experts who have done it before. So our, our designer and engineering network, um, you know, is you know, hundreds of people large now and has, you know, awesome, talented engineers and designers that have worked at places like Under Armour and Weber Grills and have worked at, I've worked on chips for Boeing and on the Tickle Me Elmo. So like a bunch of cool stuff that they've done in the past that, you know, <laughs> that that have actually made products in mass manufacturing before i mean and that's a that's a big that's a big deal um mm -hmm. i think the the part that you know a lot of you know a lot of people don't understand is is how much expertise and knowledge actually has to go into this process and so you know why go at it alone if you've never done it before when you can have you know someone whether it's with gemba or not but have some sort of expertise along the ride to, to help guide you through the process and give you a better chance of winning right mm -hmm. so what what is what is that like? Are you guys trying to specialize in a specific country? Is that where you, you start that process at of, Hey, we can, we can line you up with like Chinese manufacturers and distributors, or do you try to even take it further into like different countries like India, Mexico, even the United States? I don't feel like a lot of people look in the United States, but even like sourcing and manufacturing from your own country, if you're in the United States, uh, yeah. that, that could be a huge benefit and win in terms of like turnaround if it's cost effective. So mm -hmm. where do you, where do you start that like focus? Yeah. What, what's that, where are those like low hanging fruit? I should say. Yeah. I think it's all going to depend on the actual product itself. Um, mm -hmm. you know, where, where is the best place to get that manufactured? You know, that's kind of, again, further down the journey when you're going into full scale product development, it's, it's something to, you know, know to consider, you know, if you are not wanting, you know, if it's a bulkier item, maybe that's something you don't want to put on a boat cause it's so expensive to, to manufacture. Right. So developing it in somewhere, you know, if you're selling the product in, United States, maybe something like Mexico makes more sense, right? Um, so then all those things you have to consider through the development process and really where it starts is with research. And I think, you know, if we're going to go detailed into the actual process itself, the first thing is you need to actually research your product, you research your idea, right? What's mm. out there from a competitive landscape? What are you trying to, what problem are you trying to solve that hasn't been solved by your product? And how much is that going to cost you to do? And I think that's, a lot of what a lot of the development phase should be spent in, uh, at least to start, because it's it's you know it's cheaper, it's research, and it's, it's your time, which you know it's valuable. But at the end of the day, if you're going to try to launch a product, you have a great idea, you need to validate that it's that it has legs. Um, how how would you guys suggest that people do that though? Like, is there do you, yeah. do you do that through data? Do you do that through testing? Do you well, what are the, the ways that the you above. guys suggest? Okay. All the above, definitely through data first. Um, I think there's some quantitative data. It depends on where you're selling it to. Like if you're selling it on Amazon, there's obviously a ton of tools and, and stuff out there that you can use like Helium 10, Jungle Scout, whatever. Um, we've developed some tools on our, some proprietary stuff that we've created as well to help, you know, look at Amazon data. Um, but ultimately, you know, there's a combination of that. If you're looking for how much it's going to cost, I mean, you can get a baseline understanding from Alibaba or the Alibaba is a great at, you know, what's already been invented for the stuff that's custom that's never been invented before. It's hard to really gauge pricing based on what's already out there in the market. It can give you kind of a, it can give you kind of a, a baseline, but it's not going to be completely accurate. Um, so doing a bunch of that and then looking at trends, you know, what's, what are the smaller, smaller companies or smaller batch manufacturers or smaller entities that are selling like, like things on Etsy or things on, on Pinterest you know, what, what are the trends that, that are out there that might give you inspiration of, of things that you want to incorporate into your product? And then you can use, you know, again, you can use data on the actual concepts themselves. Like there's a company out there called PickFu where you can do A-B testing and get feedback mm -hmm. on your product. Um, go ask your friends, like, is this product, would you buy it? Like that's what you're selling it to. You're selling it not just to your friends, but you know, people, people that are out there in the market and marketplace and e-commerce, like, go get feedback, you know, protect your assets with, with, you know, some sort of patent if you can, or, you know, do it with people you trust to start. But at the end of the day, you know, do the research first, make sure you have conviction and make sure that the problem you're solving can actually be achieved within a budget that makes sense for your margins for your business. I think that's, right. that's, that's how you start. And then once right. you get, once you've gotten past that point, then it becomes a lot easier. And then you can start, you know, finding the team and building the team around the product that you need. So 
again, this is where it gets really specific into the type of product that you have. Um, if it's, you know, a cut and sew product like apparel or like a bag, um, you really only need, you know, an industrial designer or someone who's worked on that type of product before. So you're going to want to find a designer that has done that, those types of products before. And I'm not talking just sketching. I'm talking like a true tech pack. So something that will, will, will actually tell the factory the blueprint of your product. Um, if you're going into something that's more complicated, like injection molds, you're going to want like plastics and metals and glass and all that kind of stuff. You're going to need a, a mechanical engineer on the product. Um, so that, so, you know, again, that's two, now you have an industrial designer and a mechanical engineer on the team. The next step after that is if you add electronics into the mix, then you're going to need an electrical engineer. So you have to really understand what kind of product you're, you're starting with or building or creating or iterating on. And that'll help guide you on the team you need to build to go build, to go actually physically build that product. What do, what do you tell people if it's, do they have to be passionate about that product or that area of focus when they're selling online? Do you, do you <laughs> think that's a component that they have to be a part of? Yeah, I think that's a very, very good question. And I think it's timely in the, in the sense that, you know, I think for the small business or mom and pops, or you're just starting out, probably it's something you should probably want to believe in. But if you're on the other side of the spectrum, you know, like the Thrasios or the aggregators of the world, are they going to be emotionally attached to their product that they're launching? Probably not. Or the products that yeah. they're buying? Probably not. It's all, it's all about dollars and cents to them. So again, there's really two ways to, to look at it. And I think it needs to be a combination of both. It needs to be a combination of, again, if, if you're trying to go at it yourself, like, do you, do you believe in the product? Do you have an emotional attachment to it? And then second is, does it make sense financially for you to make the investment of time, energy, money, and everything that's going to go into actually developing the product? Yeah. So yeah, there's a couple of things I can break down from there. One is obviously aggregators and brand owners, they want to find something that's going to be, they're going to be passionate about work about solving a problem idea or whatnot with aggregators. Do you think that's a part of the equation that they haven't figured out yet? Of like, how does passion quantify to success and how, when we buy this, what does that quantify to what we can do with it? You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. at the end of the day, it's a number in terms of like scalability, whether it's make it better, yeah. make more product or whatever that is. Is there an unforeseen one that they haven't figured out yet? Like a, a formula? Um, I don't know. It seems like Thrasio has, has figured at least part of it out. Um, they, you know, they keep getting tons of funding and, and it seems like they're scaling like crazy. Um, you know, I think for any, for anyone who's doing those bulk buying of businesses, uh, the part that really needs to take, be taken into consideration is the supply chain risk, you know, where if you have that, ex, if you have that sort of, um, scale, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the people they're buying from are, you know, the smaller six, seven, maybe eight figure businesses that all like, you know, their products may not, it might, it's probably not just one hero product or maybe it is, but it has some side, some sort of diversification. Can they level up? their manufacturing to the next tier. Most, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the courses out there that are taught for beginners say, just go to Alibaba and find a factory, which is great for white label again. And you can do that and you can run a great business and it works to a certain degree. There's just no comp, there's no barrier to entry for anyone to do that. Right. Um, what we believe is that creating that barrier through the product development process and creating something that's defensible is what's going to win in the long run. And so, you know, again, from the aggregator standpoint, if they're able to find that home run product and it was built at a factory, that's maybe what we would call a tier three factory or something that's you know found on Alibaba or something that you found at Canton fair. And it's not, you know, they aren't doing tons of, of volume relatively to, you know, the tier two, tier one factories, but maybe they, they can level up to that, to that scale by putting, you know, money into PPC and money into marketing and, and getting more efficient on that frontier. Um, then they should have that conversation with the bigger, the bigger players in the, in, in the manufacturing space and, start getting competitive bids from those factories and making sure that, you know, they are getting the best possible solution from a manufacturing partner as they can. So do you guys, a couple of different things, do you guys work with any aggregators to like help them find their way along? Like it's almost yeah. like, like, uh, I was gonna say, do you guys like contract? How, do, how does that work when aggregators same, are, yeah, is it everything same. getting going? Like, it's almost like if you're working with a really well-funded third party <laughs> seller, right? Like they just right. have, lots of capital to like help them. Yeah. Get going. Yeah. For them, what, it's about cogs, right? It's about being able to drive the cost down with not sacrificing the quality of what they bought. And so, you know, there's obviously inherent risk by switching providers or something like that. 
I mean, the other thing we do is help develop the product. So if there's, you know, a lot of the aggregators don't have product development expertise, they might have Amazon expertise or they have supply chain expertise. Um, but if you're, again, if you're spending a lot of money on going and buying at, buying companies, you could also spend money on launching new products that are complementary to the brands that you're buying. And so that is something that, you know, we also help out with. Interesting. So, and then on the flip side with, uh, kind of product development, is it something that you're seeing innovation happen more now than ever, or is it something like, it's almost like a copycat society because you guys probably see it more on a, like a high level or more, maybe like closer to the point, right? Where yeah. there's not as much yeah. innovation in terms of like the product world. They're just iterations of the same product. Yeah. Is that, I mean, is that a fair to say? Yeah. I, th I think in the Amazon world, for sure. There's, there's like, there's certain products that just do well on Amazon because of the convenience and, and ease of use and, and ease of purchasing, right? If you're if your uh, if your strategy is to go off of Amazon and do more of the Shopify, you know, your own website type of endeavor, you can do a lot more, I think, from a creative standpoint. Um, and then, what what we've seen in the data is if you actually create that brand recognition off of Amazon, your conversion and click through sh your click share and conversion share is actually like two or three X what it would be if you didn't have, if you started off of, or if you started on Amazon. So like if I, if I look at like the OXO brand, for example, for kitchen goods, mm -hmm. their conversion share by someone searching for OXO in the, in the actual title or the keyword Super high. is that like 85 to 95%. Right. Yeah. Versus someone who just searches like, I want a kitchen blowtorch. Like then you're getting into more of like the 30 to 50% conversion share for the, those products. So developing a brand off of Amazon is actually an interesting strategy for some, if you want to go down the product creation side of it. And then if, once you've created that brand and people know who you are, Amazon just becomes another outlet for you of how you can fulfill your, fulfill your, your goods. So if you're, if you're coming up with a product, let's go back to the innovation part. If you're creating a product and it doesn't have like a name or a brand or anything associated with it, how are you telling people, Hey, this is a need, but how are people searching for it? Like, does that come in a picture of like, you need, like, it could be the most innovative thing, but if no one's yeah. searching for right. this kind and, of like, you know, problem, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, how, how does that work in that part? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. So I think, again, if you're looking at, at looking at the data, um, there's only going to be so many places you can find what people are searching for. So like, you can look at Google trend data and, you know, it's challenging. It's, it's a lot. Um, you can look at Amazon data and if it's, if again, if it's something, um, if it's something that may not be a good fit for Amazon right now, it doesn't mean that it may not be a good idea or might not be something you can make money off of. It just means that, you know, Hey, maybe you don't want to start by selling it on Amazon. You want to start by selling it on your own website and do more of that crowdsourced way. Or, or you could do something like a Kickstarter and see, you know, go, go down the path of, you know, trying to collect the funding up front to limit the amount of cost you have and see if it has legs that way. And if they, you know, if it's, if it does well on, on something like Kickstarter and you get, you know, five, six, seven figures on, on Kickstarter, it may be worth the investment of time and money and energy into it. So is that where you tell people like, what are the different ways that you can take an idea and like either fund it? Well, obviously like you can do it personally or privately, mm -hmm. or you can do it on Kickstarter, which actually right before this posted friends, uh, product, it's a coffee kind of a substitute. I don't know if you know, Samer Brax or, um, uh, Mina, uh, Elias from the Egyptian prescription. Uh, he, he's a chemical engineer background, but he sells online and he does supplements, which is a super crowded oh, cool. space. But then also they, they both figured out this product. They're doing concept too, mm -hmm. like selling on Amazon and then hopefully exiting eventually. But now it's called Neuro or shop Neuro. And he has a successful brand on Amazon, but they're trying to do like all these different ways for people to get started with the product ideation, like how to research product ideas and then funding it. Even if you have $0, like on Kickstarter, I literally just posted yeah. it on social media. So if you check it out and you're friends with me on Facebook, definitely go check it out. On yeah, I will. Absolutely. Um, but then, uh, so what, what are other ways? Like what am I, what else might I be missing to fund this great idea? Like I've conceptualized it. I have an idea in mind, but I need capital in order to get that, yeah. Products manufactured. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is you could license it. Um, if it's something that you just don't want to pay for the inventory and you want to collect a royalty or you think it's that great of an idea, you can, you can take, you can limit your risk, uh, lim limit your upside, obviously limit your risk right. as well. 
by saying, Hey, you know, go to a bigger company or someone who you feel that may, may work and show them design and see if it's interesting. And if they like it, then maybe they'll pay you for it at some point. I mean, that's what a lot of, there's some design agencies that do that. You know, they, that's kind of like their, uh, their, their lead, their, their sales channel is to, you know, create these designs that look cool for big brands and say, Hey, is this interesting to you? And then maybe they'll fund the project. Yeah. Right. That those are, those are like the main ways that, you know, I see is pathway to, to, to capitalizing a product. Gotcha. So when someone comes to you, like what, what problem or missing, like what hole do sellers or like companies have that they're trying to fix when they come to Gimba or you and they're like, yeah, Zach, I, I need, I have this problem. I yeah. need it plugged quickly so I can get up and running and start making more money on this. <laughs> yeah. I think a uh, majority of our customers want, you know, the design aspect of it because they don't have that expertise themselves or they don't have, you know, the teams that we can build. Um, and then other customers come to us with, you know, wanting to, take over managing supply chain and, and helping them either reduce costs or source in Vietnam or India or somewhere else outside of China. So they're coming to you and saying, this is my idea. I need to make it an actual tangible product and you guys are helping them build it. Is that what yep. it is? Yeah. Okay. So we, again, the platform kind of links people together. So if they come to us with an idea, let's say, again, I'll, I'll just use an example, uh, make it up on the spot. Let's say you have a cup that you want to have your idea is I have a cup and I want it to measure volume and temperature and control the temperature. So that would have some sort of electronic component into it. It would also be most likely injection molded because a cup is injection molded for the, right. you know, it's either made out of plastic or some sort of metal that insulates, mm -hmm. uh, like, like a Yeti. Um, and so you would need a designer and engine and two engineers. You need a mechanical and electrical engineer so that you can, develop the PCB and all how the, all the wiring works within the cup. And then you need an engineer to make sure that it can be housed correctly and safe for human consumption within that cup. And then you need the designer who's going to actually just come together and, and sh like make the cool, make it look cool, right? Make it look right. like something I want to buy. So what we do what, what our secret sauce is we have this, this wide net of designers and engineers in our, in our network. And so as soon as someone comes in and says, Hey, I, I want to build that cup we can match them up with the team to go build that cup. So we'll, we'll find the designer engineers that have actually worked on products that are similar to what has been, you know, similar to the idea that our customers and our leads come in and, and talk to us about. And then we match them with that team so they can go develop it. Interesting. So almost like a, hold on. There's a product out there. It's almost like matching, oh, not, not a, um, not a Fiverr or anything like that, but almost like I mean, a similar. like a Fiverr for engineers, right? Fiverr almost. for for manufacturing and design, yeah, similar similar to that. Not that I'm yeah. saying that you guys are copying Fiverr, but that it's a it's this different model. I mean, yeah, of like, I mean, it's a marketplace at the end of the right. day. Like we are we are a marketplace that that is two sided, and and people can you know transact and 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 work with people that are contractors that are not employees of Gemba, but have a skill that will get them to to develop the product that they're looking for. Interesting. So that ideal customer would be, Hey, I need to make this. I need to find somebody who can work with me to build this out, to make it legitimate. So they have the idea. Naturally, I'm assuming you want them to go through your network to find legitimate, you know, manufacturing and distributing partners that you've, I'm assuming vetted in person. Mm -hmm. Is that the next, mm -hmm. is that the next ecological? Yep. That's, that's the next step. step. So one, once you've done the matching with the designer and engineers and, and you, you know, have your collateral, which is your CAD drawings, your tech packs, your bill materials, all the stuff you need to go talk to, you know, intelligently to a factory, it transitions over to the other side, which is the manufacturing side. And that's where we have teams actually in the countries where we're doing manufacturing. So China, Vietnam, Mexico, Colombia, Turkey, India, I mean, I don't know. we have like eight or nine different countries that are working in now um, with people actually on the ground there. And then what we do is once we have that, that collateral, so the, the tech packs and everything I just talked about, we're going to the countries that it makes sense to go manufacture in and then getting bids from the factories and taking it down from, you know, hopefully a, a stack of, you know, six down to, you know, two potential suitors and then saying, Hey, who do you want to move forward with? And eventually getting down to that one partner that you're going to move into. And yes, we, we vet the factories, um, that we put our customers in front of. What's your, um, what's the number one country that people are probably working with right now? China. China. 
So is is that is that trend going to continue to stay strong? Like you guys are the experts in distribution and manufacturing. Yeah. Is that is that going to um, continue to stay pace, or do you think other people, countries are catching up? Um, I think there has been a, a, a push to be diversified um, by all e-commerce sellers, whether you're big, small, or whatever, or just starting out. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the port systems are being developed in in countries like Vietnam to facilitate more commerce flowing through there and more products flowing through those countries. Um, I just think, you know, what the data would suggest is that you need to have a much better handle on your inventory and much larger volumes to have conversations with places like Vietnam. Um, and the reason for that is they only have so much infrastructure. They also import a lot of their raw materials. So mm -hmm. they don't, you know, they don't have mass land like India or China has where they can, you know, get, get their mills up and running really quickly for, for thing, you know, materials like cotton or silk or whatever you're, you're making. Um, but you are seeing, you know, a labor, a labor force that's, that's cheaper. So again, you kind of have that trade and you got to figure out what your, what your actual landed costs once you get com these competitive bids from the factories to really understand like, okay, what's, what's my true lead time? Cause it's not just factory lead time it's on the water if you once you start going obviously as you go further west uh of the united states the longer it has to go on the water so china's the direct you know west of the united states so it's the least amount of time on the water you start going to vietnam and india and keep going you know more more in more you know down on the uh, the ocean there it's more time on the water so all those things you have to those all those are all things you have to consider right and, and the lead times for vietnam might be longer because they're importing all the raw materials from places like China and India or maybe Korea. And they, uh, then they have to, you know, do their, they have to do their factory work and then they have to ship them out. So, um, you know, where China might be a 30 day lead time, Vietnam might be a 45 day lead time plus the extra 10 ish days or so on the water. So again, yeah. it, it's all kind of a game. It's a puzzle. And you just try what you're trying to do in the development process is fill in the pieces as, as much as you can and, and ultimately complete the puzzle by all with making a margin and, and, and having a great idea. Yeah. And we talked with Tyler Jeffco of seller accountant, who's a fantastic person in terms of he, he kind of painted this picture for us last week on Friday is when you, the turn is the number one factor of, if you look at margins and you look at, you know, your spend and how much you're actually in profit, how many turns of inventory are you actually doing? Because that, that's what, aggregators are looking at they're like how often do i need to reorder my goods in order to hit certain level of threshold in terms of revenue so if it's if i have a set of goods that's only turning once they're like well i only have to order it once a year that's not right. really good in terms of like growth opportunity but if you're turning it uh three four or five times and you can look at that but your margins might not be great you can look at it and say like maybe we can go to a different manufacturer distributor and make right. more profit. And then obviously that that's where the win is happening for a lot of aggregators. So when you right. guys are talking about like, are you having those conversations with sellers, like the pros and cons of like sourcing from India, China, like Vietnam, yeah. like you said, what, like, how do you break that down for them? Is it, is it based on time, money? What other things am I missing right now that you have to break down for them? Uh, time, money, expertise, um, order quantities, those are the main things. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that's, that's, that's most of the equation when you're talking about manufacturing partners. Right. So I mean, especially if you're getting into like specific products, right? Like if you have certain regulatory needs, if you're, you know, look, working with certain materials that are only going to be milled at certain factories, like you narrow down who you can work with pretty quickly. Um, so like, you know, if you have some sort of product that's meant for, you know, children or, or babies, and you want them to have, you know, no chemicals and, and all these different, you know, requirements. Again, you're only going to work with a certain amount of mills that actually can fulfill that sort of requirement. Um, so again, it, it's really going to be product specific on how you start narrowing down your search for the, uh, the different factories that you're going to be, you know, at least accepting bids from. And that's again, why I think, you know, Alibaba is great for stuff that exists, but stuff that doesn't exist, like these are all the things you have to be thinking about when you're launching a product and doing your research on is like what, what compliance requirements are part of the, part of the equation. And how does that limit the amount of, uh, how does that limit the amount of factories that can actually be good partners for you?
I was gonna say, so in, in terms of a network that you guys are working with, is that in thousands? Is that tens of thousands? Like, I don't even know how many factories actually exist in terms of like that would work with third party sellers. I'm assuming it's it's in tens of thousands, right? You're um, talking about. I mean, the, you know, you can go to Panjiva or some other, you know, data source for finding, you know, every factory that exists out there that's done exporting to the United States in the last thirty years. I think, um, but we we we've vetted you know close to a couple thousand um through the you know couple years that we've been in business how are, how are you ranking them is that based on like uh quality of product is that like time efficiency yeah. is that ease of use it's, what are those other ways um communication uh excitement for your product you know you can tell a lot from a factory based on how they respond and and all that and then expertise as well i mean again <laughs> There's there's a lot to be said about what they put on paper and what their compliance documentation says versus going to the factory and showing up and actually seeing what's happening. Um, you know, I've, I've seen factories that I've personally been to that, you know, they they have Disney certification and Walmart certification and and they have. I don't even know what that there. means. What does that mean? Like, tell I mean, me what it, that means. I mean, there's can, just they can make those products. Your, yeah, like they can make products for Walmart or they can make products for Disney and they have it's a, it's a certain it's a certification that like Disney suppliers make you go through in order to be a partner of theirs. So it's it's supposed okay. to be something it's it's like another, you know, notch up Show as far them. as right. yeah, exactly. But I've gone to a factory that had all that and and then shown up and you know, they have dust all over their their toys and and they none of their production, none of their machines are running and nobody's in the factory and you know, again, it 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 just goes to show that having someone there to physically do that for you and, and able to, again, vet who they are, not just on paper, but who they are in person. It, it, it's important. Again, I, I, I can't stress enough the, the importance of um, your factory relationship as you continue to scale your business. Um, I'd say, you know, I always say that your customers are your, are your, obviously your most important part of your business. And then the second most important part of your product company is your factory partner. They control so much of what you do treat them that way. Um, they should be a partner, a real, real partner, not just a, not just a inventory management system, right? Like they're, they're in the game with you they want, they want you to succeed just as much as you want to succeed and just be smart about it. You know, put the parameters in a contract of what they can and can't do with your product and, you know, protect it as much as you can. And, and then just, you know, have a, have a working relationship where you have some sort of representation in the factory that can go there on a, on a regular basis. And, build the relationship and, and help you get those cost savings downstream and help them under like have someone who truly understands your product too. Like there's, if you spent, if you send someone who's a product, a production engineer to the factory on a regular basis, they're going to be able to look at the operation of the factory and probably help the factory and you on your product save on your costs because they're going to find the inefficiencies. That's what engineers do. Um, so I think, again, that's, that's part of what we offer as, as Gemba is to give that person that representation for you that can go to the factory and be your advocate and, and help you reduce your cogs, not just not just negotiating price terms, like actually finding inefficiencies in your product and in your production line to make it so that you can have a better conversation about your cogs, not just like, hey, I want a lower price. Okay, why? <laughs> like, right. Right. <clears throat> so yeah, and, and just as a, a quick reset real quick, Zach. So I have Zach Leonard from uh, Gimba, who's the uh, founder of Gimba. We're talking about product concepts um, beginning and then obviously to, um, you know, making it and bringing it to market. A lot of people are always like curious and like scared, especially when you see Amazon with the data that they have in terms of like, Hey, I have a really great product idea. I come to Gimba and I say like, this is awesome. This is, I want to make this. I think this can change the pet industry or change the children's toy industry, whatever, uh, whatever that might be. And that might be true. What happens when you have to answer for what if my manufacturer, like, is my product protected with my manufacturer? Like, how do you protect yourselves as part of like either intellectual property? Obviously, besides mm -hmm. going into, um, you know, lawyer like patents, you know, trademarks, things like that. Instead of going that way, what if someone like rips off a knockoff of my revolutionary product? How do you sure. go about protecting yourself that way? Yeah. So first, I mean, again, great question. First, if, if your product is I'm full of a man, come on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, like it's a, it's a concern for a lot of people, Absolutely. right? Like Absolutely. Amazon, Amazon has been like, 
it's a valid time and time again like amazon just takes it they undercut your supplier and they just cut you out of the equation you might be out tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars so how are how are sellers now protecting themselves in this case yeah i think again if it is a revolutionary technology you you at the very least should get a patent at the very least and it you know if it's a utility patent which means that you're you're patenting how it's used more of the function um you can get a provisional patent pretty quickly and you don't need as much collateral to do that um you just need to show how it works the next step is you know if you're, again if you're creating a product a design patent which again only costs a few thousand bucks maybe um between all the filing fees and also the you know if you have a lawyer that you're going to have file for you um Again, all things that we connect you to at, through Gemba, through our platform, we have IP attorneys we work with. Um, that'd be first. So definitely do that and make sure that, again, it's in the country that you're going to be selling the product in. So if you're selling right. in the United States, but, like get a U.S. Huge... patent. Get a U.S. Exactly. patent. If you're selling in the United to... States, don't get a European patent unless you plan to sell in Europe or you plan to manufacture in Europe. Well, as an international growth company, we always have to make that. We've had a couple of patent attorneys that say, you have to do that for every marketplace that you want to sell in. So you have to think about it's that true. at the beginning. If you sell in the United States, obviously, and you try to take that to Europe, you could have someone subvert you and say, like, hey, I can get a patent. Theoretically, right. not always true, but make right. sure you get a patent on every marketplace that you sell in. So right. that's, caveat, that's absolutely just right. putting that there. <laughs> that's absolutely right. So that's first. Um, the second thing is have agreements with your manufacturing partners that have stipulations based on what what happens in that event right so um there's stuff out there called nnn agreements if you're working in china um non-disclosure non-circumvent and non-compete that's what the n's stand for um which would hold up in court uh you know are you going to go to china and fight a legal battle i don't know I don't know if you're going to do that as a, as a business owner, but at least they might they might think you're more serious or they might take you more serious. Um, the second thing is there's a lot of research that you can do on, you know, with with someone locally there on Chinese-based websites that'll tell you that a lot of the history of some of these of some of these factories, and you can see if you know factories have missed their payments or kind of you know scoring on them from from their suppliers, and you know we've seen uh, as part of our vetting process when that pops up. You know, it's it's the uh, the qualitative side of the factory, right? Like, is the owner gonna gonna stiff his bill to his suppliers or something like that? And we've had to deal with situations like that. Um, the customers coming to us and saying, like, help me through that through that process. Um, so those are things that you can do. That again is research or you know small financial in comparison to losing out on the sales of the product that is revolutionary for you, right? Right. And then I think I think you have to make a business decision on where you want to sell it. So if you're scared that Amazon is if, if it's revolutionary and it has potential to be, you know, huge, do you want to take the chance and risk on Amazon? That's up to you as the business owner. I mean, there's other places you can sell it, like your own Shopify website or WooCommerce or Big Commerce, whatever it is you want to sell it on, you can do that. And that would give you ultimate protection over everything. You would That's know awesome. your sales. You would know your yeah. sales. Amazon doesn't know your sales, so they're not going to know if it's a hot product. If it ends up being a hot product to the point that Amazon wants to copy it, I mean, again, if you have the patents and everything set up, not much they can do. Um, they can try and copycat in some degree, but again, you have a legal basis for all that, and they won't have your data. Yeah. So where, where are uh, sellers winning right now in terms of logistics and manufacturing? Like in, the, in this chain and part that you guys are representing, where are sellers really like excelling at right now? Um, where are they excelling? Um, I think if, if you are very good at selling these products, you have a very good handle on your overall operation, meaning you can forecast inventory really, really well. Um, you don't stock out ever, regardless if you're selling on Amazon or off Amazon, like, do not stock out. Um, and uh, if you're able to get, if you're, if you're selling multiple products, are you able to aggregate shipments into one container or, or control shipping lanes a little bit more? I think if you, if you're scaling and get to that size where you can do all those three things, you're, you're doing it well. Are is order on demand or ordering like when you need it, is that dead now? 
or is it more of a, you have to start ordering more for like year long, uh, you know, inventory. Is that where sellers are starting to move to instead of the, I, hey, I, I have to, I, I have to yeah, very, <laughs> the science that has, has to like be perfect because yeah. like I, I asked that because a lot of people have said, you know, that, that phase of entrepreneurship and selling online is almost dead because of logistics. And that, that's kind of my, my next segue is, you know, where are their concerns moving forward in the logistics and supply chain? Because 2020 put a lot of stress test on everything in terms of logistics, in terms of deliverables, yeah. you know, manufacturing timelines, you know, yep. just around the world in terms of, you know, what's, what's the, what are those concerns for you guys moving forward? Yeah, I think, um, as you've seen, you know, over the past three to six months, there, there's a huge congestion issue in the port systems in the United States. Um, as the number of e-commerce is, is that the United States fault? <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know. I think, I don't know if it's or is a, that we're just like a, buying a ton of stuff. From I, don't, I, don't, hey, I don't, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a, um, if it's a fault or point or finger pointing thing. I think it's just a, the, the, the case of, you know, the, the reality is there's more e-commerce sellers popping up every single day and they all have to fulfill somewhere and they all want to order. They all want to get an order in, you know, before Chinese new year and right after Chinese new year to get, to get their, you know, inventory into their warehouses. Right. And so when you have a natural break in the action for, uh, uh you know, almost a full month, um, it gets more challenging and, and everything kind of has to go out and come in at the same time. And so that's why, again, if you're talking about like diversification places like Mexico and, and India don't, don't celebrate Chinese new year, Vietnam shuts down for a couple weeks, not all four weeks. Um, so again, those are all the things that you need to consider when you're going through that, but that doesn't, you know, then you, you may be able to avoid that, that Chinese New Year shutdown completely if you move into those types of countries, right? If you go to mm -hmm. Mexico, you don't have to worry about the ocean at all if you're selling in the United States, right? Or you, you don't necessarily have to. Um, so, you know, the, all, all those things are, are things you need to put on the table. And, and again, maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a, I need to have all of my production going out of one country. Maybe it's, I have my backup plan or, some of my production going out of one country and some of my production going out of a country for those oh crap moments when I don't have inventory ready to go. And I might, it might cost more, but it, it won't cost as much as me stocking out for so long. Right? Like those are all the things that if, again, if you have a really good understanding of your inventory management, you have a full control of your supply chain to where you know exactly when and where things are and, and how to get them out of the where out of your manufacturer into your warehouse faster. That's where, that's where, you know, again, people can excel and, and be ahead of the game and step above the rest as a seller and, and, and win in that capacity as opposed to, um, you know, just manufacturing in China and, and playing the game that is what everyone else is playing. So when you're going into different markets, what's the easiest market to get your goods into? Like country, I should say. Is it the United yeah. States or is that a difficult? Like I don't, I have never tried to get product from one country to another in mass quantities. I don't know if the U.S. is hard to do that. Or if it's pretty easy and comparative to like Canada or yeah. Europe or wherever, what's the easiest yeah. market to get into, and what's the hardest <laughs> one? I mean, I think that's all relative. But um, as far as regulations go, Canada and Europe are 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 stricter in some categories than the United States in terms of their compliance measures. Okay, what categories? Uh, like, is there any high level that we can take away? Um, yeah. Um, I put you on the spot. Food, food, it, it, food if you, product, I mean, food products for sure. Um, yeah. I think electronics as well and baby, baby products, um, kids products, you know, there's just a lot more rigor that goes behind it in those countries. Us, we don't care about this stuff. We just want to, oh, we do, quicker. we do. It's just not as strict. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I was going to say, you would... we care a lot. Um, you know, I think as a lot much of, as a the lot Canadians or the Europeans though. <laughs> it's, I mean, a lot of the baseline is the same though. I mean, like you can't, yeah. like, there's, there's certain, chemicals that can't be any product like mercury and phthalates and, and lead because those are dangerous for consumers. So like that's across the 100%. board, like, you know what I mean? And then there's just some other things that are not the same in both. Um, yeah. So it's just, it, it really just depends on the product. When I heard this actually on Clubhouse, I know you and I were talking about real quick, we're talking about like insurance, right? Insurance is a big key in terms of like, Hey, my goods don't get to me. Hey, they're dysfunctional. Like they, they're, you know, inspections and whatnot. Like there's a whole like, big component of 
whose fault it is. And even taking it to the next level, say if you don't get your eyes on those goods and they're not inspected, they go into a warehouse, they get purchased by a consumer, and then that is a defunctive or defunct product, for example, right? Mm-hmm. If something like breaks, like I think the example was a dog leash, the dog jumped at something, it snapped, snapped back at the person's eye and they lost their eye. Like when in this component, are you the seller culpable, like culpable in terms of like, they can come back and sue you as a third party seller for if this is oh, your yeah. product, yeah. like how, how do you protect yourself in that case? Like not like <laughs> saying like you want yeah, to I mean, protect. That's, that's, like, a, that's a that, great question. So, so as far as like how, you know, my understanding of the legal basis, um, the seller, and you're not a lawyer, so I'm we, not a lawyer. Take this all Take it with a grain of salt. Cause I'm definitely not a lawyer. Um, <laughs> you should, there are, I mean, there are cons- safety, consumer product safety attorneys that you can get all these questions answered with and, and compliance attorneys that do all this stuff. And again, people that we work with at Gemba to make sure that all this stuff is, is correct. Each product, I, I kind of like what we do, each product, we have a compliance review that we do that says all the things you need to do or should do to make sure that the product is safe for importation into whatever country that you're going to sell it in. So that's like part of the development process is getting that done. Um, at the end of the day, you as the seller are, are liable for that. Um, where the chain of command goes is going to be dependent on how how far the recall goes. But again, these are all things you can put in the contracts with your with your customers. Like what happens in the or with your uh, with your manufacturers? What happens in the event of a recall? Who bears the cost? And you can you can negotiate that with your factory. If they say no, you just have to know what happens in the event that there is a recall, right? Who foots the bill? If, you, if they say no and you agree to that, then you foot the bill as the seller. Um, there's things that, I mean, again, that, that's, that's kind of how it works when you're in the product game. Interesting. The goal, the goal so, is to, the goal is to make sure that you have everything lined up from a compliance standpoint so that you can limit your risk as the seller. That's, that's the part that you need to right. you know, make sure you have set up correctly. That's why Gimba's here to work with legitimate <laughs> companies right. to making great quality products right. so stuff like this doesn't happen, but it happens like, Oh yeah. The it greatest happens. made products can just self combust and yeah. I mean, how many, don't know how many why. times, how many times you've had a, a, you know, a recall notice on your car, right? Like it happens. I have, I have two right now. I need right? to take it in. Right. Thanks it's for reminding it. me on that. <laughs> and you're welcome, but it happens. And, and those are, <laughs> these are, you know, billion dollar fortune, 500 fortune, 100 companies that, you know, it, it it happens. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it, and, th- and those are like, obviously things that we don't want them to happen, but those are questions that do pop up. And like I said, it was a very topical uh, thing right before this. So thank, thank you Clubhouse for bringing this. Like in the <laughs> 48 hours I've been on Clubhouse, but um, th- this is another conversation. Like I said, you should be on Clubhouse for just whenever the time is. We don't have. Right. Um, <laughs> favorite marketplace to deal with besides Amazon? Is there is there one that you always tout, hey, you guys should l- really look at Marketplace XYZ is that Etsy is that Shopify is that yeah WooCommerce um, Wish. I mean, I th- I think if you want to maximize your own profit, like Shopify is the best possible one because you're in control of everything at that point, um, right. or or WooCommerce or BigCommerce, like anywhere anywhere where you control the commerce, you don't have to pay the fees to like an Amazon or a Walmart or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You control the data, you control it all. So like that that to me is 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 the best possible place you can sell. Um, Amazon, again, you're, you're paying for the FBA side of it and you're paying for their marketplace. So right. those, those costs can add up to like 40%, which of your product, yeah. which is a lot. It's a lot. You, you look at Amazon and they charge you a fee. So it's, it's, <laughs> what, it's, what, it's what I tell people. It's like, you're selling on, you think about selling on Amazon, you get a bill in the mail. Like <laughs> you thought about selling online with us. So, Where's our, where's our cost? So, yeah. um, before we wrap up, like, uh, Zach, I know there's like so many questions and rabbit holes we can go down really high level about like getting products to market quickly. Is there like, I know we talked about concerns, but is there exciting things that came from 2020 that you think will like innovate because of the highlight we like the, the spotlight we've shown on, like, again, getting goods to port quicker, 3PL logistic companies, like maybe innovating e-commerce now is, in the yeah. mindset, I always ask this is it's, I don't think it's no longer as a, it's no longer a, um, in terms of like a, it's more a necessity now instead of a luxury. So mm-hmm. we've made that switch over in that line in the sand. We're now a necessity. Where do you think your company and like the, in general logistics side of things, what's kind of that 
exciting part moving forward that we, in terms of like learnings from 2020 moving forward? Yeah. I think just in general, from a macro level, like the barriers to entry to sell a product has become almost nothing. Like you can, I can, you can go on Alibaba right now, buy something that's already been made and put it on Amazon very quickly. Like you can do that if you want. So it's, I think what's exciting is this wave of innovation that's going to come out of that because it's getting so competitive to white label that people are going to have to create these moats and have to create their own products and private label and, and, and go down the path of development. And so like for me, I think that's exciting just because we sit in the middle of that. But also I think it's going to be exciting for the world because you're going to get a bunch of awesome new products out there that solve all of your problems. Um, so I, I think to me, that's, that's what, you know, 2020 has really been about. It's, it's, it's enabling that entrepreneurial and that creative spirit that I think, you know, is, is the awesome part of, you know, humanity that we are creators and, and we help foster this creativity that's going to continue into 2021 and, and beyond. Is there, has there been, and one final question, has there been a favorite product that you've worked on from beginning to end, like <laughs> concept to, to market? If, if you're allowed to tell us what it is, maybe describe it if, if you can't uh, say this is what it is. I mean, there's you have to have a just, favorite. Um, a favorite product. I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's been a lot, but I think, you know, we've, we've done a massage gun. We've done some cool, like aerobic weights. Um, not the shake, done, weight, but just aerobic. No, okay. yeah, like, like weight jewelry stuff. Um, there's wait, wait, weight jewelry. What is that? Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. I mean, it, it's out in the market. You can look at, uh, this, this dazzling product. like your weights. No, it's like, it's like, um, like weights that you put on your, your arm that can be worn as jewelry, oh. but also like that. They're called Cali weights. So, uh, so basically it looks like a, like a, a bracelet, but it's really yeah. like 10 pounds weights. that you're just yeah. like, well, you might look where you're like holding up your bracelet to somebody like, you're like, it's so right. heavy. Right. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Those, that was, those are cool as well. He's good. And he was a good guy to work with the, the owner of that company. So that's um, awesome. So, yeah. yeah like, so just like innovative and like creative people, is that, is there a specific area that you guys are really wanting to work with or do you guys do the the gauntlet or like won't work with a specific category, I should say. Yeah, I think um, the, the the stuff that we tend to shy away from are like, you know, we're not going to build another airplane. So big like cars, airplane, like like not car, like full scale. Did, like did you build an airplane? No, I wish. Um, oh, I was going to say, you said don't. build we another. And I was like, there's a first one. We, That's we awesome. wouldn't build, we wouldn't build an airplane and we wouldn't right. build like a full scale car. We could build like parts of the car. Sure. Um, like bumpers or whatever. Um, and then, and then, you know, typically we shy away from like supplements and stuff you put into your, into your body or on your body. Um, those have right. much more, those are much more regulated from an importing perspective. Um, you know, that's why a lot of the, the lotions and potions and stuff are actually created here in the U S. So that's why I say if it's yeah. on your body or in your body, it's in the United States. That's what we do best. Right. Exactly. That's what I've learned. Like through this podcast, I've learned if it's in your, or on your body, it's from the United States more often than not. So yeah. Not, yeah. Not from overseas or anything. Yeah. Like I mean, it's, that, it's so. just, again, there's so much more regulations you got to take into consideration when you do that. Um, but again, it, it, we've done it before and, um, you know, we're, we're happy to help, but on, on most, most products that are sold on Amazon, we, we can help with. Open for business on other words. So, so what, <laughs> before we go, Zach, what, what's the best way that people can either like contact you reach out, learn yeah. more about Gemma, helping you guys get to mark, helping them get to market quicker and you guys use your expertise to, to really navigate the field. Sure. Sure. So you can always check out our website, www.gemba.com, G-E-M-B-A-H.com. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, uh, but one of those two ways we'll definitely be in touch and, and talk, talk about your product, how we can awesome. help. Yeah. And we'll make sure, and those are definitely in the show notes, but for people who are wondering and watching live again, uh, if you had the questions again from social media, the website is going to be in the comment section again, G E M B A H gimba.com. Go ahead and check it out or again, go ahead and find Zach on LinkedIn as well. Zach, thank you so much for hopping on. I know we are in just a little bit over time today, but you know, for, for people who are looking to get in the space, obviously it's not too late to get in e-commerce. Hopefully that pathway for you guys, like booming from what I understand, you guys are just crushing it and just continuing to move business forward and it's exciting time for your guys in your business. Yeah. Thank you. I was uh, excited and enjoyed the conversation. And again, if we're, if we can help 
get your product out to the market, we'd, we'd be happy to have a conversation and do what we can to help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, from Austin, Texas. I'm glad things are some semi back yeah. to normal. You guys are open all of a sudden. Yeah. Like everything is open. You go from like yeah. shut down and <laughs> and ice yeah. and whatnot. Now everything's open. So God, yeah. God bless the state of Texas. <laughs> exactly. You gotta love <laughs> well, it. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for joining. And again, friend of the show, uh, Zach Leonard of Gimba. So thanks a lot. All right, and everyone, thank you again for uh, joining us again on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter. That was Zach Leonard of Gimba. We have uh, three more shows again this week live on Crossover Commerce again. That was episode 71. We're just crushing through content here uh, to bring you the best and greatest in e-commerce in Amazon tips and tricks. So go ahead and check out Gimba. Again, the Gimba.com for more information. Go ahead and look for Zach's information on social media as well. Again, I'm Ryan Kramer, the host of the Kramer, the can't even get my last name right. Kramer, the host of this uh, of this podcast. If you have questions for me, go ahead and find me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn as well. Just go ahead and search for us on Facebook as well. Crossover Commerce with Ryan Kramer, so you can notified of future episodes as well. Again, for Zach Leonard, I'm Ryan Kramer. We'll catch you guys next time on Crossover Commerce.